Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Previously on Unwritten. I'll be here all week. And by here, I mean my office. And by all week, I mean 24-7 till I finish this thesis. This is what I need to write. My thesis. A case study on Gerald Wagner. Who were you just speaking to? What? You were just talking. Sorry. I... Um... I haven't gotten much sleep in the last week. I must be getting a little delusional or something. But you're always allowed to change your mind. Anytime you say no, it means no. It doesn't matter what you said or did earlier. If he didn't listen to that, if he didn't stop after you said no, then he raped you. We're always here. We're always giving and we're always hoping that one day you'll start giving back, but you don't. Maybe you can't and it's exhausting. I'm going to expose him for the monster he really is, through my thesis, at my presentation, told to the audience, printed and bound in the university library. An empty shot glass is slammed on a bar. Chelsea sulks over the glass. She sits with August at a small bar of a nice restaurant, Drea Tens Bar, wearing her formal work clothes. Chelsea is woefully underdressed for the room. Elaine has no idea who she's dealing with. August looks at her, drunkenly confused. Um, who dealing with? I mean, <clears throat> Elaine dealing with who? Or, or is it whom? Drea nods reassuringly. Dealing with Wagner or dealing with you? He drinks. Chelsea leans towards him, squints and wobbles. Both. Bad day, Chelsea. Drea sets shot glasses on the bar and pours dark liquor to the brims. She's been drunk for over 24 hours. About Elaine. Bitches get stitches! <gasps> Chelsea toasts herself and jugs her shot. About Elaine. Drea and August share a glance, then shrug, clink glasses and drink. The three are distracted in substance abuse, while Sydney, Gerald's insufferable teaching assistant, walks in with a group of friends and is seated at a table nearby. No one notices anything. Elaine would say that cheersing to a sentiment that celebrates violence against women. She burps and squints at her empty shot glass. Is fucked up. August and Drea stare at each other, worried. Chelsea shakes her head at nothing. But you know what else is fucked up? Faux feminist revenge plots that destroy my career. Okay. How's that career going anyway? It's fucking great. Dean Wagner's a great boss, but Lil' Elaine Harper would disagree. Upon hearing the name of her boss, Sydney looks up from her menu. None of them notice her, as Drea and August are focused on the ranting, and Chelsea's brain does not appear to be creating any new memories. <laughs> so Dean Wagner's not what, putting the moves on you? Drea blinks charmingly and caresses August's face over dramatically. Call me Jerry. August laughs. Chelsea misses the joke and gestures at her vest, knocking over empty glasses. Um, I think it's obvious I'm a ladies' gal. He's like 50 anyways. I don't think he'd bang a 26-year-old lesbian. That's not what I've heard. Yeah, that's not what we've heard. Or what I've heard. August points at Drea. I don't actually know what you've heard. He totally puts the moves on 26-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 20-year-olds. Nah, they're all like, 
Oh, no, Dean Wagner. I dropped my pen. I'm just going to bend over at the waist to retrieve it. Sluts. He's a professional. Sydney's eyes flash quickly back and forth between the trio and her menu as she fervently eavesdrops. Chelsea belches even louder. <coughs> Drea begins to clean up the mess Chelsea's made. I mean... She thinks her little project is actually going to make a difference. <laughs> Pointing fingers isn't enough. Crying rape isn't even enough. Yeah, activism is trendy when it's convenient. All it's going to do is make her look desperate and ruin my career. Chelsea, that's dramatic and you know it. She burps again, (coughs) stifling what is most likely liquor and stomach bile attempting to escape her body. It's just not going to work. If these girls were actually serious, if Elaine had hard evidence, they would go to the cops. But it's just a paper, an essay for school. It won't do anything but ruin her. Ruin me. She thinks she's Nancy fucking Drew. I still don't see what it has to do with you, though. Chelsea slams her hands on the bar and growls. Drea and August exchange wide-eyed looks. I just don't get it. How do I fix her? Dude, it's out of your hands. You can't make her change. No one can make her change. August stands up abruptly. He's clearly drunk. I'm getting pizza. You coming or not? Drea gestures to her restaurant clothes, eyebrows raised. Chelsea nods, then stands, steadying herself on August. I fucking love pizza! They walk out, struggling a bit. Drea blows August a kiss, and he smiles back. Sydney stares furiously at her menu, brow furrowed. Got it all. It's just on return, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition, with these words I can't play around. Walking on wires without a name, in and up alone. It hasn't happened yet. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, Zach Duncan, Adrian Miller, and I'm Sean Gunther. Episode 8, The Invisible Girl. Written by Cece Hutton. Directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Liz Rosevere, Emily Kallenberg, Dodie Lockwood, Joe Oliveri, Chris Petrie, David Gaylor, Sarah Amar, Hope Azell, Stephen Kallenberg, 
and Anna Adamy. The evening after her fight with Chelsea, Elaine sits alone in her living room, clicking through her slideshow presentation. Lita's painting sits beside her. The Title IX complaints litter her floor. A knock at the door. Elaine jumps, almost knocking over the painting. She gathers herself and sees through the peephole that it's August. She tiptoes back to the living room. He knocks again. Elaine? She stares at the door. Her phone rings and she jumps again. She quickly silences her phone and stays sitting on the couch, scrunching her face, willing August to leave. Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein, sits on a chair in the room. She wears a black velvet dress and her hair is pinned up. She holds parchment on her lap and a quill in her hand. She watches Elaine. It seems like there's something at work in your soul that you do not understand. Elaine ignores her. Elaine, I can hear your phone. Why are you avoiding me? Why am I even still trying? Fine. Your message is loud and clear. Which he doesn't understand either. Elaine tosses her phone down and swings her door open. They stand in awkward silence. Uh, hi. Elaine walks into her apartment, leaving the door open. August surveys the papers covering the floor inside. Oh, boy. He walks inside Elaine's trashed apartment. Elaine is on the couch, busying herself by gathering the documents and placing them in a neat stack next to an unfrosted cake. Um, did you bake that? Elaine looks at him in exasperation. So, um, I miss you. I don't really have the time for a boyfriend right now, August. Well, um, I understand. I, I do. I just, uh, wish you could have told me that. Elaine blushes furiously. I, I guess I owe you an apology. I'm just so overwhelmed. Can I sit? She nods. August sits. I'm sorry. I'm just not in a good state of mind lately. Elaine glances at Shelley, who's looking at a DVD copy of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, baffled. Some people really took Frank and ran with it. Elaine slams her eyes closed. August takes her hand. I don't know why you pushed me away. Elaine opens her eyes in realization. What did you come here to tell me? Well, I did something stupid that I, I didn't mean. Because you were drunk. She lets go of his hand. Uh, yeah. I messed up, and I just needed to talk about what happened. There's nothing to talk about. I... Wait. Yes, there is. You just left me hanging, and I've been angry and sad and confused. I guess that part is my fault. But betraying me with Drea? August hangs his head. I know. You deserve so much better than that. Better than me. Oh, August. I'm serious. Why do you think I can't get you out of my head? You're always the best of all of us, Elaine. Elaine smiles, then looks at the slideshow still displayed on her computer. Look, I think you should go. It's not a good time. My presentation is so close. Can we talk again soon? Are you going to ignore me again? I don't want to force myself into your life. I mean, I'm confused too. And this Drea thing kind of made it worse. Oh. But I'm glad you told me. Thank you, August. Um, yeah, of course. August stands, lingers a moment longer, then walks to the door. He stops in the doorway. Elaine? 
I'll wait as long as you need me to. Elaine blushes and smiles. Let me get through all this. Then we'll talk. Just a bit longer. By August. August smiles and leaves, closing the door. With how many things are we on the brink of becoming acquainted, if not for cowardice or carelessness? The next day, Elaine walks down a hallway at the school. She looks as if she's barely slept. In. Out. She stops and closes her eyes. Hello, Elaine. She jolts her eyes open. It's not Gerald, but Professor Lincoln. Elaine? Hi. Yes, sorry, I'm, I'm late for class. Elaine scurries into a classroom. Professor Lincoln sighs. <sighs> the classroom is full. Sarah and Greg are in attendance. Rena is skipping. Freud, Frida, Picasso, Sherlock, Dracula, Franklin, Hemingway, and now Shelley sit in desks that line the back wall. Elaine has yet to notice them. She puts down her materials and stands in front of the room. She starts speaking without looking at anything. In the 1780s, scientists were beginning to experiment with electrical power as means to regenerate corpses of animals and, in some cases, humans. Using science for methods such as galvanic electricity was highly controversial, something that Mary Shelley, along with husband Percy Shelley and close friend Lord Byron, were beginning to explore in their fictional character, Victor Frankenstein, with whom you all are very familiar. Greg rolls his eyes and takes out his phone. Shelley notices, crossing her arms and huffing. During my lecture. How rude. Elaine shakes her head as if to ward off Shelley's intrusion. In true Gothic technique, Shelley used nesting, a method that writers use to cradle stories within stories. The one time you're teaching a woman writer and you let them succumb to their machines. Elaine looks back at Shelley. To be fair, they don't care about the male writers either. A couple of students look confused, while the majority of the class is unfazed, clearly not listening. Uh, I mean, Shelley is often criticized for the function of her submissive and passive female characters. She stops abruptly. She glares at each student, then starts pacing with unusual confidence. So, quick poll. Real easy for your tiny, delicate attention spans. She now has every student's attention. Sarah looks at her, frightened and concerned. Raise your hand if you think Frankenstein's monster got what it deserved. A few students look around. No one does anything except for Freud, who raises his hand. Elaine ignores him. Seriously? Not even an opinion. Didn't even watch the movie. Nothing. Greg rolls his eyes like answering is a particularly onerous chore. Well, obviously the monster wasn't Frankenstein's problem. Shelley cackles. Hemingway furrows his brow. Freud nods rapidly. Sex is the problem. Elaine is still angry, but is relieved for discussion. Obviously. Yeah, like, he created him, sure. But at some point, he can't actually do anything about it. Hmm, a little moron might be onto something. So you think the monster's exile was deserved? That Frankenstein should not receive any repercussions? The monster isn't human, dude. Why does it matter? That's not the point. That's not the point! The students, except for Greg, are startled. Greg just looks bored. Freud raises his eyebrows. Perhaps you should consider your words more carefully. 
Breathing heavily, Elaine glares at Freud, then at Greg. The point is to illustrate the challenge of the pursuit of knowledge and the moral consequences of revenge. Greg looks at his phone. Okay. I'm glad you paid such close attention to the book. Thank you for your participation. Oh, yeah. I definitely didn't just pull all that from the internet study guide. Some students laugh and look amused. Sarah glares at Greg. Elaine grits her teeth in fury. She looks at Shelley, who narrows her eyes. Well, that explains why he didn't get it. Greg basks in the laughter and looks very pleased with himself. Elaine pushes the lectern to the side and sits on the desk. She casually swings her legs and smiles at Greg. You know, a month ago, I would have given you some speech about the importance of maturity and taking intellectual pursuits seriously. <laughs> Actually, that's not even true. A month ago, I'd have just let you walk all over me. I bet you're used to that, aren't you, Chick? Greg looks back, bored. You do understand, don't you, sis? I'm not your sister. <laughs> Gals like you are all the same. Gals? I'm not a girl. You do know that, right? A few students snicker. Some look from Greg to Elaine, waiting to see what happens. Elaine waves her hand dismissively. I'm using gals in the general sense. You know, as in, hey, how you gals doing? Or, seriously, gals. Nobody says that. Come on, woman. Everybody says that all the time. It's pretty much ubiquitous. That means found everywhere. I think you mean guys. Oh. Do I? Why would that be? Frida smiles and taps Picasso on the shoulder. Here it comes. Everyone says guys when they mean people, not gals. Ah, and we say man, not woman. And dude, not chick. Greg nods and gives Elaine a duh look. Because really, how dare I, a lesser creature, a woman, deign to compare myself to a man? I'm somehow less than, aren't I? Like the imperfect monster to Frankenstein's man. There it is. You said it, not me. Yes, complicit in my own gender's oppression, embracing the stereotype. Do you have a girlfriend, Gregory? She would be equally complicit just by being with you. <laughs> It'd be a crime on her entire gender to stoop low enough to sleep with you. Greg looks shocked. Excuse me? Did you not understand? Were my words too big? Oh, Greg, you aren't burdened with an overabundance of brain cells, are you? Many of the students gasp. Greg grabs his backpack. Fuck this! He starts to stand. Elaine leaps to her feet. No, fuck you, you ignorant moron. Get back to your seat. Get back to your seat or you fail this course. You can't do that. The hell I can't. I'm your instructor. And I have a new grading policy. This is your final. Get this right, and you don't need to come for the rest of the semester. Everyone paying attention? The rest of the students stare, wide-eyed and terrified. Question one. Who's the biggest fuckwit in the room? There is no question two. Students look around at each other, not sure if Elaine is serious. <laughs> come on. Who wants to pass? No need to write anything. Just point. No one knows what to do. Sarah fidgets uncomfortably. Miss Harper, I don't really think... It's very simple. <laughs> Five seconds to answer. Everyone. Four. Three. Two. 
One of the students in the room points at Greg. Very nice, William. A plus. Another student points at Greg. Greg flushes redder and redder. You can't do this. Elaine smiles. Who else wants a GPA boost? One by one, every student in the class points at Greg. Sarah is the last, and she hangs her head in shame as she points. Almost unanimous, Gregory. Unfortunately, you're still failing. What? The question was, who is the biggest fuckwit in the room? You haven't answered. Time's almost up. Greg gives his head a tiny shake, as if to send a silent plea to Elaine to stop. Last chance. I hope the F doesn't disqualify you from Greek life. Face red, with tears in his eyes, Greg points at himself. Very good. Everybody did well in the final, and we settled an important matter at the same time. Class dismissed. The students rush out the door, afraid what Elaine might do next if they were to stay. Sarah watches her feet as she leaves, not even glancing towards Elaine. Greg is shaking with embarrassment and anger. He bites back a comment as he passes by Elaine. She gives him a big smile as he leaves. Elaine gathers her things. Hemingway looks at the others around him. I always wanted to beat the tar out of that little shit. That was delightful. I don't think that's how the rest of them took it. Perhaps you should better gauge the tenor of the room, Elaine. Really? My intention went completely over those ungrateful students' heads. The classroom door slams as Elaine leaves. The room is empty. Later that day, Elaine is in her office after poring over her thesis for hours. She rubs her eyes and looks around depressed. She gathers her things and exits to the hallway, running smack into Chelsea, who is wearing the same clothes from the previous day and smeared makeup. Hey, I need to talk to you. You're making a mistake. What a revolutionary statement. No, look, uh, no. Uh... You're hung over. Go home. Elaine moves to walk around Chelsea. Still drunk, actually. Elaine scoffs and tries to move around her again, but Chelsea stops her. N no, I just meant you just shouldn't rely on academics. Art to... to... To what, Chelsea? To make a difference? Do you even hear yourself? Since when is your administration job more important than fighting for a cause? Since when does the man take precedence over the marginalized? Who are you becoming? Chelsea bursts into tears. Oh, shit. Chelsea lies passed out on the couch in Elaine's apartment. Elaine types furiously on the computer at the end of the couch. Chelsea stirs, blinks, and slowly sits up. Then eyes wide, she sprints to the kitchen sink and pukes. Elaine doesn't look up from her work. Good morning, princess. Water. Elaine throws her computer off her lap. She goes into the kitchen and pours a glass of water for Chelsea. Chelsea chugs it and comes back to the couch. She grabs a pillow and covers her face with it. I suck. I'm assuming that's an apology. Lainey. Yeah, you do suck. I'm assuming that's forgiveness? Elaine playfully punches the pillow. Chelsea grunts and rips it off her face. Okay, 
okay, okay. I'm sorry. Elaine's soft spot for Chelsea overpowers her, and she lets down her guard. A little. I'm sorry, too. I just get upset because even though it kills me to admit it, you're always right. And I'm scared you're right about this project. One, thank you for acknowledging one of the seven truths of the universe. Two, I actually am not 100% sure I am right this time. I think you're crazy for doing this with your thesis, but how can I argue with constructive criticism of the institution? Thanks. I feel like shit for messing up the only person who supports me. After you present your argument, I won't be your lone supporter anymore. Elaine doesn't push down her emotions. Her eyes well up, but tears don't fall. You think I'm doing the right thing? Yes. Maybe not in the right way, but yes. Handsome or not, Gerald is a creep. University president or not, the students deserve better. Anyone who disagrees is part of the problem. I was part of the problem. Elaine hugs Chelsea. Chelsea is pleased, but winces. Mm, still pukey. Elaine pulls back quickly, grinning. Perhaps now is the wrong time to tell you that I baked you a cake? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> uh, but maybe cake later, please. Besides, we have work to do. How can I help you nail Jerry? You can start by not using sexualized expressions in casual conversation. I'm not nailing anyone. Chelsea stares. Elaine stares back, challenging Chelsea to tell her to shut up or make a joke. Chelsea is struggling. Uh, okay. What? Okay, you're right. Say it again. You're right. Elaine smiles. You can help by listening to me practice my presentation. You got it. <coughs> Blah. After I eat something and shower. Okay. And check my drunk texts. Okay. And get some Advil. Chelsea! You know what? Hair of the dog. You got any vodka? Why are you like this? Because you love me. Elaine hits her with the pillow. In the back of the campus coffee shop, Gerald is sitting in a corner, sipping, watching, waiting. Sarah opens the door to the shop. She scans the room and sees Gerald, walks to his table, and carefully sits down across from him. It's so good to see you. I've missed you. Sarah raises her eyebrows. I was starting to think you'd lost interest. You could say that. Then why are we here? Sarah looks down at the tees in front of him. He notices, pushing one towards her. Green, right? You're doing it again. Doing what? Charming me. He smiles wide. Manipulating me. His smile fades. She just stares at the tea as if it might be poison. I would never do that to you. Oh, so what would you call coaxing a student into sex and then never speaking to her again? I never coaxed you into anything. You're a grown woman. You make your own choices. And you stopped calling me, not the other way around. I know I make my own choices, but you know exactly what you did. And so do you. Sarah, I've never felt this way about anyone. I'd never hurt you. You know this. I... I guess I just felt used. This is obviously a miscommunication. Don't let a mix-up ruin what we have. He takes her hand and she doesn't pull away. She stares at their hands. Is there something else? I've heard that there are other girls. From whom? 
There are official complaints. How can I trust you? Is it Elaine Harper? Sarah snaps out of her gaze and looks right at Gerald. She... Sarah, I'm going to tell you something that's not been released yet. She's unstable. She's been obsessed with me for weeks, I presume out of jealousy. You have to understand she's pulling you into her game. She's not unstable. She's a passionate teacher. A little weird sometimes, but that's just her personality. Yeah, she sees a counselor, but that doesn't make her unstable. And honestly, that's not even bad. It's responsible and self-aware. A counselor? The school counselor? Well, yeah, it's not like she can afford anyone else. Listening to a crazy person is not going to do you any favor, Sarah. Have you seen her do anything suspicious or extreme lately? Has she been more erratic? She was... I mean, okay, maybe with Greg, but he deserved it. Maybe not to that extent, but he pushed her to it. She's disturbed. It's not always easy to see mental illness. Sarah considers this. Right. Jerry, Dean Wagner. I don't think we should see each other again. His face hardens. She pulls her hand away and stands up. Elaine might be crazy, but so are you for thinking I could believe your bullshit again. She grabs the untouched tea, turns around, throws it in a trash can, and exits gracefully. Sarah slides into her car. She backs out of the parking lot and pulls out onto the street. After driving a few minutes, she dials Elaine on the phone. Hey, Sarah. Don't freak, but I'm out. I'm leaving school for the rest of the semester. I need to take care of myself. Wait, you can't. I mean, your health is important, but Wagner- You should think about taking care of yourself too, Miss Harper. Please don't use my name in your presentation. I'll call you when I'm ready to talk again. Sarah! Goodbye, Miss Harper. Sarah hangs up and tosses her phone onto the passenger seat. She turns onto the highway in silence. Elaine is in Professor Lincoln's office, staring at her phone incredulously. I think I just lost the only victim who would let me use her name. Sarah? What did she say? Is she scared? We can protect her from retaliation. He did something. He did this. You still have evidence. This is a setback, but you still have an argument. Control tactics, the abuser establishing intimidation, the victim practicing restraint, but mistaken as submission. This could be another example of a male abuser condemning a female victim attempting to fight back. Maybe. But it's not as strong as a first-hand account. An anonymous comment is not going to move hearts the way putting a human face to the victim would. Elaine's heart is racing. Shelley walks up next to Lincoln, reading her notes. Elaine is beginning to panic. Invention does not consist in creating out of void, but out of chaos. Elaine, do not lose your focus. No emotions. Elaine keeps eye contact with Shelley and inhales slowly. Got it? No emotion. Just facts. Got it. A steady purpose will tranquilize the mind. Fix your intellectual eye. Clear your mind tonight. Step away so you can give 110% tomorrow. Elaine stands up abruptly and gathers her things. Yes, clear mind. Good idea. She walks into the hallway, leaving Professor Lincoln alone. As Elaine walks, she's deep in thought about what could have possibly changed Sarah's mind and if she should call her back. She pulls out her phone and scrolls down through her contact list, looking for Sarah. She collides with another person. 
Oh, sorry. She looks up into Gerald's face. Hello, Elaine. Just who I was hoping to speak to. Elaine is quiet, waiting. Gerald smiles. He bounces from his heel to the ball of his foot, then back again. He rubs his hands together, as if preparing to announce big news. So, I've caught wind of your thesis, you might say. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff, indeed. Have you? Lovely. I've actually been meaning to invite you to my presentation. I think you might really get a lot out of it. Gerald smiles, as if he's caught on to some kind of game she's playing. I'm sure I would. He rubs his hand along his chin. I must say, I'm a little uncertain about the validity of your approach. From what I hear, grapevine, mind you, you've been snooping a bit too much into the personal business of others. And without permission. That's not very professional now, is it? From an ethos perspective. Well, I'd have to disagree. <laughs> I'm just giving you my academic point of view. No, you're giving your personal point of view. There is a difference. Ah, but is there? I'd say the academic is inextricable from the personal. For is it not what we learn that we become? I'm not in the mood for philosophical jargon. Elaine attempts to pass by Gerald and make her way down the hall. He steps smoothly, blocking her way. He lowers his voice, but maintains his grin. It's best not to assume things, Elaine Harper. Elaine doesn't look him in the face, but her voice stands strong. Incorrect. It is best to believe people when they speak about being hurt. But being hurt by whom? I would say it's less than thorough and, quite frankly, bigoted to not take into account both sides of a conversation. Would you not agree? What are you talking about? Consider this scenario. Say, a man and a woman are in a committed relationship. This relationship goes downhill. There's miscommunication, there's anger, there's resentment. They see a counselor separately. They tell this counselor two different stories because they each bear witness to their own reality. And they each, most likely, stretch the truth to fit their own reality. I don't have time for fictional scenarios. You've only been listening to one version of a greater story, Miss Harper. That is a glaring gap in your research. The version I've been listening to is the truth. Only one truth from only one participant. Are you advocating a plurality of truths? Didn't Nietzsche criticize attempts to establish truth through vanity? Didn't he say to find pure truth in art? <laughs> but what do I know? I hear you taught philosophy. Why don't you tell me? The smile fades from Gerald's face. He narrows his eyes. My art will tell the truth. A perspective that is too often doubted. Or worse, shamed. Hope to see you there tomorrow. Now excuse me. Elaine shoulders her way past Gerald. She exits the building quickly, shaken. She mutters to herself and becomes increasingly angry as she walks. Elaine goes straight to Dr. Lemon's office. She sits in the chair across from her desk and drops her papers on the floor, ignoring the mess she's made. Dr. Lemon stops what she's doing and looks up. Elaine, did you need something? We don't have an appointment today. Honestly, I feel like shit. Complete shit. Everything feels like it's falling apart, and I just need my presentation to work out. I need it. What's falling apart? Why do you need it? I'm 
I'm just feeling pressure to do something good, to make stride for the afflicted, but I'm failing. <laughs> I'm so sleep deprived that my imagination is starting to feel real. Like, I know my passion can get misguided, that I can be abrasive. I know my flaws. I just, <laughs> I talk to myself sometimes and it's starting to feel realer and realer. What's not real, Elaine? I think my mind compartmentalizes my feelings and each compartment realizes itself as a character and it helps me work through layers of emotions. Dr. Lemon scribbles. Elaine catches a glimpse of the words, falters, and closes up, regretting her outburst. Shelley stands behind Lemon, reading her notes. Over-exhaustion, anxiety, hallucinations. That last one has a question mark. Still evaluating, I suppose. Are you experiencing lost time? It's just mounting stress. I thought you weren't supposed to sound like a textbook. Elaine, this could be dangerous. Can you tell me more about what happens, exactly? That does not seem like a good idea. Actually, I really think I had some weird half-awake dream. Like I said, I haven't been sleeping. Dr. Lemon writes, then sets her notes down, leaning into the desk and trying to engage Elaine. Elaine, I'm going to be blunt. You're describing behavior that could be a risk to your health. I just need sleep. I need you to be honest with me. Have you been seeing things? No. No, not like that. <laughs> like what, then? Okay, I believe you. But promise me you would tell me if it gets worse? I know your thesis seems like the only thing that matters, but you need rest. Relaxing isn't lazy. It's healthy. I know. I'm going to take a break tonight. More than tonight. Okay. I will. Good. I'm here. See you next week. Elaine stands up. Shelley speaks to Dr. Lemon as she and Elaine exit. It's worse than you know, Doctor. One hallucination can't even see another hallucination. A story within a story. This would make a great novella. A few hours later, Chelsea arrives at Elaine's apartment to hear Elaine practice her presentation. Chelsea pays close attention, but also dives into the cake Elaine made for her. And so... One victim should be enough to discredit an administrator. This man has more than five, and counting. Not only should Gerald Wagner not be university president, but he should be removed as dean of students. The university deserves someone who is going to keep students safe, not actively contribute to a dangerous campus environment. Chelsea finishes a piece of cake. Oh, I know we forgave each other, but wow, I do not forgive you for the sawdust cake. Elaine glares. I mean, solid presentation. You're going to make Jerry your bitch. Elaine keeps glaring. Chelsea looks around for a phrase that isn't based on sex or power. It's good. You're good. I'm looking for a mic so you can drop it. You've obviously thought this through. I don't know why I didn't see it before. You have good evidence, anecdotal evidence, but it still works in this case. My one question is, now listen, this is my damn job. My question is still, why not go to the authorities? Do you just want to make a display? Let's not just ruin this creep's day. Let's ruin his fucking life. It won't work. The girls are afraid of going public. 
Sarah's afraid? I thought she was determined to squash Wagner. Sarah is not included in the victims now, which you would have noticed if you weren't devouring my sawdust cake. And I'm pretty sure Sarah's in love with him. Fine line between love and hatred for gross dudes and gross cake. Elaine gives her a look. I digress. If people turn on Wagner, which they will after hearing you out, it's still going to go public. Yes, but that's in the future. Right now, it's their word against the probable future president of the university. They don't want him to know who they are. This paper, my argument will persuade his peers. Just enough doubt to keep them from supporting his promotion. It will shift the culture more than a police report. Police reports usually condemn the girls for coming out, then gather dust uninvestigated. Just forgotten. Okay. I disagree, but I support you. That's all I need. Dr. Lemon is in her office, typing on her computer and sipping tea. Gerald knocks twice on her slightly open door and peers inside. Dean Wagner, hello. Hello, Don. You have a minute. It's important. Elaine is sleeping hard on her couch, surrounded by her notes, computer open and running. By God, look at the time! Elaine jolts up. She looks at her phone, which has missed alarms and calls from Chelsea. Shit! She scrambles to shut her laptop, gather files, and stuff her bag with her materials. She runs to the bathroom and splashes water on her face and looks in the mirror. Picasso appears behind her. She attempts to brush and pat down her bedhead. You're a mess. Wow, inspiring. She rips business casual clothes out of her closet and hastily changes into them. Mistakes are art, too. She stares at him incredulously, buttoning her shirt. Her phone rings. It's Chelsea. Where are you? I overslept. Just really nervous. I'm coming now. Um, okay. Run, sprint. Stop signs are just suggestions. Elaine snatches her bag and runs out the door. Elaine runs upstairs and through halls. She halts at the door to the auditorium where her presentation is scheduled. She takes a deep breath and opens the door a few minutes before she's supposed to begin. Everyone in the auditorium turns to look, including Chelsea, Professor Lincoln, Sidney, and other students and faculty. Elaine does not notice Gerald's absence. She makes eye contact with Chelsea, who hurries to meet Elaine in the hall. Elaine shuts the door carefully. They are face-to-face -face standing outside it. What? I'm late. This is so awkward. Chelsea grabs her arms. No, you're right on time. Steady. Elaine nods quickly, breathes slower. Chelsea releases her. Just like we practiced. You'll have everyone on your side in less than an hour. Hey, Elaine. Sorry we're late. You didn't have to wait for us. Elaine freezes. August and Drea approach, walking close together. Oh, oh, no problem. I haven't started yet. Great. We'll see you inside. Good luck. August and Drea walk into the auditorium, August's hand on the small of Drea's back. The door shuts. What are they doing here? What do you mean? You may have isolated yourself, but they still love you and want to support you. Yes, but I mean, what are they doing here together? 
Chelsea stares at Elaine, concerned. Elaine, they're here together because they're together. Together? Together? How did you miss this? I... I didn't. I knew that they had a little fling, but August told me it was a mistake and that he still wants me... When? He came over a couple nights ago. When? The night after our fight? Elaine, he was with me the whole time. I was angry drinking about you, and he babysat me for like a day and a half. No, he was there. He told me he would wait for me. What? That's not possible. He was with Drea and me, and he's been with her ever since. No. Are you sure you didn't dream it? Maybe? No, it was real. It wasn't like with the others. I can tell the difference. Others? What others? Professor Lincoln walks into the hallway, concerned. Elaine, are you ready? This is bordering on unprofessional. Elaine tries to push the horrible realization out of her mind. She shakes her head at Chelsea and looks at Lincoln. Yes, Chelsea was just last minute prepping me. Elaine pushes past them and walks straight into the auditorium. Chelsea and Lincoln follow her, trying to mask their individual concerns. Elaine walks to the front of the room, watched by the group. Professor Lincoln and Chelsea sit. I apologize for the delay. The presentation will begin shortly. Elaine looks at August and Drea sitting together. They are whispering to each other and laughing. Elaine mutters to herself. I can tell the difference. She sets her materials down and opens her slideshow on the room's computer and projector. The first slide reads, How Authoritative Power Becomes Intimidation in Campus Sexual Assault. Today, I will present my year-long study. <coughs> Professor Lincoln coughs loudly. My study of sexual assault prevention and resolution in universities and the roles of supposed authoritative figures. There is a problem that affects every campus, particularly here at... Elaine stops abruptly, realizing Gerald's absence. Her eyes dart about the room and land on Shelley, who has just appeared in the audience. Focus your intellectual eye. But where's... Ch Dean Wagner? Sydney, Gerald's T.A., leans forward. He's running behind because of a last-minute meeting. The door opens. Gerald, Dr. Lemon, and a campus police officer enter the room. Gerald and Dr. Lemon sit in the front row beside each other. The officer stands off to the side. Oh. Welcome. Frida appears in the audience. Pay no mind. Fulfill your purpose. My research is supported by anonymous written interviews of female students who have been mentally, emotionally, and sexually abused by... She looks at Gerald. Authority figures. These voices have previously gone unheard. What does justice look like when the offender is the face of the institution that is meant to protect its members? Sydney raises her hand. Elaine looks at her, flustered. Sydney interprets this as an invitation to speak. So the offender is the institution itself? Hemingway appears in the audience and scoffs. Does she even see the words on the screen? Well, I just said it's authority figures inside the system. So the administration are the offenders. Everyone in the room reacts to this with furrowed brows and exchanged looks. Sherlock appears in the audience and addresses Sidney. Interrupting is quite rude, you know. Dracula slithers behind Sidney and Gerald. Ten minutes in, and they already aren't listening. I'd try something else. 
Are pop quizzes commonplace for these types of meetings? Elaine is breathing hard, sweating and shaking. Her eyes dart around the room wildly. Professor Lincoln nods reassuringly. Elaine, continue. What did these women experience? Claim to experience. Victim one said, claimed her interactions with a particular person of high authority at the university started innocently. Oh, don't they all? Dracula nods. Freud and Picasso appear in the audience. Never innocent, always phallic. Sweeping generalizations, as always. Melinda, we are surrounded by very limited perspectives indeed. And she did not feel threatened, only persuaded. However, this is still problematic because his position was intimidating and... Sydney raises her hand and then speaks without being called upon. Well, this doesn't seem like assault at all. Questions and comments at the end, please. Well, sexual harassment and assault are not defined in black and white terms. Anytime someone is violated without his or her consent. Do you have hard, numerical, scientific data? Or is this all dramatic storytelling? This man does not know how or when to deliver criticism. He's just a fuck, if you ask me. I see his position, however. Would it not be on the girl to communicate when she is not interested? Well, first, don't call her a girl. She's a woman. Second, it's not on her to not get raped. It's on the perpetrator to not do the raping. I think we're getting a little ahead of the topic. It's okay. Calm down, Elaine. This topic is tough. I know it's difficult to not become emotional. Elaine is shaking violently. Professor Lincoln glares at Gerald. You're doing great. Continue. Telling her what to do, establishing control of the room, even when it's not his place. No, you don't tell me what to do. Elaine starts clicking through her slides too fast, stopping on a photo of Gerald's email to Lita. You want hard evidence? Here it is, you fuck. Here's real concrete messages of you shaming Lita Rios about sex that you coerced her into. Elaine slams her fist on the podium and points in Gerald's face. A collective gasp echoes through the room. Chelsea is poised to rush to Elaine, but holds herself back. Oh, Elaine. Trying to hack into my accounts? Making up conversations to cope with and explain your friend's suicide? Who else have you violated? What else have you fabricated? Professor Lincoln stands up and glares at Gerald. I don't care if you're the dean of students, the president of the university, or Socrates incarnate. This is an academic presentation. I am the advisor, and you will not interrupt her again. Professor Lincoln looks to Elaine to tell her to continue, but Elaine is focused only on Gerald. This is proof! Lita killed herself because you fucked with her head! I heard how you treated your student recently, shaming him in front of the entire class for answering a question. He filed a formal complaint in my office. Don't even. He had it coming after months of disrespect. Gerald leans forward so no one else can see his devilish grid. Oh? Would you say he was asking for it? Furious, Elaine tries to lunge at Gerald, but Chelsea is already on her feet to grab hold of her. Well, this is no longer intellectual, is it? Or fair. Elaine struggles against Chelsea. Chelsea, let me go! He needs to pay! He deserves to suffer! Let me go! Everyone else is confused and shocked. The police officer moves towards Elaine. Dr. Lemon stands and pleads with Elaine. Elaine, just have a seat. I'm here. We can talk about this. This is exactly what I was telling you about, Don. The police officer reaches Elaine and grabs her arm. August stands up. Let her go! 
Drea tugs on August's arm, pulling him back into his seat. Chelsea looks at the officer, unsure whether to let him help or to stop him. Elaine tries to break free. What are you doing? Let go of me! He's the one who committed crimes against the university, against humanity, against real people with real lives and real dreams! The police officer drags Elaine to the side of the auditorium. Professor Lincoln is angry and shocked. Sidney slinks to the computer and shuts off the slides. Hemingway shouts and slams his hands on the tables and walls. Shelley and Freud attempt to restrain him. Sherlock scans the room carefully, watching the students and faculty. Picasso bickers with Frida. Dracula completely disappears. Chelsea pleads with the officer. Look, she hasn't done anything wrong. She's just passionate, and Wagner egged her on. We all just saw it. Let go of me! Dr. Lemon approaches Elaine. Elaine, please come with me. It's all easier if it's voluntary. Elaine keeps struggling. Dr. Lemon turns to the officer. She's having a mental break due to exhaustion and stress. She's just threatened Dean Wagner, and I'm afraid she's a threat to herself. Dr. Lemon turns back to Elaine, reaching out her arm. Come on, Elaine. Let's get you out of here. Why don't you see? Why doesn't anybody see? Elaine looks at the police officer. Are you even here right now? Elaine goes limp. Chelsea runs to her, but Dr. Lemon waves her back. Chelsea watches as the police officer helps Elaine out of the auditorium. Hemingway Freud, Picasso Sherlock, Frida and Shelley fade away as Elaine leaves the room. The rest of the room is stunned. Gerald steps to the front of the room to address everyone. I could see her spiraling. It's not her fault. She's been on the brink of mental instability for weeks. I'm just glad we caught it. He makes eye contact with Chelsea. Her mouth drops. For the first time, Chelsea doesn't know what to do. He turns to Professor Lincoln and looks disappointed. What a shame. This seems like a very strong paper. He exits the auditorium. Professor Lincoln narrows her eyes. She leaves, followed by other murmuring and shocked faculty and staff. Chelsea collapses, stunned. August and Drea hurry to her side. Weeks later, a member of the Board of Trustees stands at a podium during the celebration dinner inside the university ballroom. He is beaming around the room, finishing a speech announcing Gerald's presidency. The majority of the audience applauds, but with mixed emotions and reactions from some professors. Professor Lincoln makes a point to not clap, and Chelsea fumes in a chair in the corner. Gerald ascends to the podium during the scattered applause, winking at Sidney, who smiles wide and looks to the other TAs to make sure they saw. They don't care, though. I'm proud to make this university the best it can be, an inclusive institution that values the dignity of each student and, above all, a safe environment for challenges and growth in scholarship and leadership. I've been working toward that goal for years. I'll continue working in my last few months as Dean of Students, and I'll be working still when I'm president. Now, let's eat. The audience applauds. Gerald shakes hands with some staff and faculty, and he poses for photos. Sidney approaches him. I'm so excited for what next semester has waiting for us, Dr. Wagner. Oh, Sidney, you know better than that. Call me Jerry. Lincoln makes eye contact with Chelsea, who slightly nods and then stands to leave the room. Puzzled, Lincoln follows. Chelsea weaves through multiple hallways, and Professor Lincoln catches up with her. 
Chelsea stops abruptly and whips around to face Lincoln. We need to talk about Elaine. There's a warm breeze outside the Mental Rehabilitation Center of Middle Ohio. The lawn and sidewalks are clean and colorful, and the halls inside are blank and sterile. Elaine's family, Sue, Paul, and Dylan, speak to a doctor in his office. Sue angrily waves her arms as she talks. Paul tries to calm her down. Dylan quietly cries. Outside the office, there are many hallways and doors, a few of them open, revealing patients reading, talking, eating. A woman scribbles in a journal. A group of men sit in a circle led by a doctor. A young teen stares blankly at a wall. Nothing is more painful to the human mind than after the feelings have been worked up by a quick succession of events. The dead calmness of an action and certainty which follows and deprives the soul both of hope and fear. The beige common area contains old furniture and sedated patients. Some wander trance-like. Elaine, dressed in loose clothing provided by the center, stares out a window. Around her, Hemingway plays checkers with Freud. Picasso and Frida paint side by side. Sherlock studies Dracula through his magnifying glass. Franklin and Shelley laugh about overbearing British men. Elaine's face is blank but disheveled, her eyes empty. This state of mind preyed upon my health, which had perhaps never entirely recovered from the first shock I had sustained. I shun the face of man. All sound of joy or complacency was torture to me. Solitude was my only consolation. Deep, dark, death-like solitude. Mental health conditions are real, common, and treatable. If you or a loved one are noticing signs or symptoms of a mental health condition, Mental Health America can help. MHA has free confidential screening tools and other information at www.mentalhealthamerica.net. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Joey Ferber, Jenna Gomes, Cece Hutton, Avery Hutto, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Sound Engineer Dan Sievers. Script Editors Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Script Supervisors Cece Hutton, Grace Poppy. Theme song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortison. Unwritten was recorded at Megafauna Sound. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This episode of Unwritten was brought to you by Handcrafted Imports, whose mission is to change lives through art. Handcrafted Imports brings the awesome beauty and creativity of talented artists from South Africa to your doorstep in the U.S. When you purchase from Handcrafted Imports, you not only will bring an exquisite work of art into your home, you will improve lives in the economy of South Africa. Every artist Handcrafted Imports works with practices fair trade and provides a fair wage and important training to their staff. You may view and purchase the handcrafted unique ceramics by visiting handcraftedimports.com.